Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. In the garden we grow in our understanding that man has a cunning adversary who desires to steal all that God has given to us. A cunning adversary. Years ago there was a comedian who had a famous line, The devil made me do it. That line got a lot of laughs, but our spiritual enemy is no laughing matter. In the garden, we have this cunning adversary, and one of the things that he does is he calls into question the Word of God, right? That's what he does. Hello, and welcome to Crosswalk. Pastor Clay was gone last week, but today we're diving into the second installment of our summer series entitled Growing in the Garden. Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of mankind into sin and the subsequent sin curse. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the Garden of Eden for a perfect existence, but there was one lurking there who intended them harm. Satan is stealing away what God desires for you to have, a life full of joy and contentment and fulfillment and not based on the trappings or the trinkets or the flesh or all that kind of stuff. As Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's message, things haven't changed much since then. You and I have an enemy who intends to bring harm to our lives. Knowing about our enemy is the key to overcoming him. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's important message to help us grow in the garden. Hey, those of you who are up on your Greek mythology, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, classic Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad, among multiple stories and tales and accounts and uh, on and on and on, contains the story of a war, a battle, that took place between the Greeks and the city-state known as Troy. Now, uh, according to the legend, according to the story, according to the whatever... The battle, the the war began over the fact that uh, Paris, uh, a prince of Troy, fell in love with the wife of the king of Sparta. And her name was Helen. And she was reportedly the most beautiful woman in the entire world. Helen apparently also loved Paris. And she ran off with him, left her her husband king in Sparta, and ran back to Troy. Which, hence the saying, the face that launched a thousand ships. Because as the story goes, the the Greeks set out with a thousand ships and sailed to Troy and held the city siege for ten years. Ten years, supposedly, the siege lasted. Until finally it became clear to the Greeks that because of their defenses, because of the massiveness of, their, of the walls that surrounded the city of Troy, the Greeks were never going to be able to conquer them. And so they devised a deceptive plan. They built a horse, a giant horse. A horse was the symbol of the city of Troy, supposedly. And they built a giant wooden horse, supposedly as a gift to the gods for safe Uh, sailing, safe passage, and they got in their ships and they sailed away. When the people of Troy discovered that the Greeks were gone and that they had left this massive horse there, they were in such euphoria, such celebration after 10 years of siege and 10 years of war that they took the horse and and they brought it into the city as a trophy to celebrate their victory over the Greeks. (laughs) 
However, late that night, unbeknownst to the people of Troy, a small hand-picked group of soldiers from the Greeks had hidden inside the giant horse. And under the cover of darkness, they, they slipped out of the horse, went and uh, took control of the gates and opened the gates to the city of Troy so that all the rest of the Greek soldiers could enter in who had sailed under cover of darkness back to shore that night. And they came in and conquered and destroyed the city of Troy. Now, I said a moment ago that, uh, that uh, it's a story considered of Greek mythology. However, in the late 19th century, around 1870, something like that, archaeologists made a discovery that they were convinced was the actual city of Troy. And there's been excavation going on for almost 150 years. Now, as I understand it, the jury may still be out as to whether this actually is the city of Troy or not, much less whether it was conquered by a giant wooden horse. But the truth that the story illustrates is still true. Deception can bring great destruction. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to open them to Genesis chapter 3. We're going back to the garden. We're in this series called Growing in the Garden. And two weeks ago, we were in Genesis chapter 2, looking at the creation and and God's plan for mankind and all that kind of stuff. Today, we're in Genesis chapter 3, looking at the first record of deception that took place and the great destruction that it brought as a result of it. And hopefully, in the course of looking at this text, are you all with me? Y'all okay? In the course of looking at this text... We're going to, this is my, this is my aspiration, this is my hope, the year, that we're going to grow in this garden. This week it's the Garden of Eden. Two weeks ago it was the Garden of Eden. We're still in the Garden of Eden, but it is a place where spiritual growth can and should take place in our lives. Would you agree? So, we're in Genesis chapter 3. I'll go ahead and tell you, if you like to take notes, there's an outline on the back of your information sheet. If you don't like to take notes, that's fine too. But I'll just go ahead and tell you that we're only going to get through uh, about half of the uh, division statement or the, 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 the outline that you see in front of you. We're only going to get through about half of that uh, today. And then, Lord willing, the other half will be next week. You ready? Genesis chapter 3. We're growing in the garden. We're looking at what can I learn from the deception of... of uh, Satan and and Eve in the garden. What can I learn from that to make application for my life? Because that's what this is about, right? If if we can't make application for your life from this text, then then A, do we do why do we need this text? And B, why do we need to be here? If I can't make some application for my life. Now, I have some responsibility in that as the as God's messenger boy. I have a responsibility to try and bring application to you. But you have some responsibility as well to make some application for your life and to say, no, wait a minute, how does this apply? What he's saying up there, what this text says, how do I apply that to my life in 11th grade or in a job I don't like or in a career that's growing, you know, whatever the case may be, or in a marriage that's failing or what? how do I make an application for my life? Because this I can assure you, the deceiver is still alive and well and he is deceiving. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start with this division statement uh, today. Here's where we start. In the garden we grow in our understanding that, that's kind of overarching thing that we've said the last two weeks. In the garden we grow in our understanding that man has a cunning adversary who desires to steal all that God has given to us. A cunning 
adversary. Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 5 to begin with. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Father, as we launch into this this morning, I just continue to ask, as I've been asking for years, uh, just continue to ask that you would take your word and make application to each person in this room. Your truth is quick and alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, even joint and marrow. And as I often pray for the people you've given me charge over, Lord God, I pray that you would do surgery on our hearts and lives. Each of us, beginning with me, do surgery on our hearts and lives. Cut out, God, what does not belong. Sow in what should be. Take your word and make its application straight to my heart today. I pray that for each one of us. In the strong name of Christ, amen. Now, there are, there's plenty that Genesis does not tell us about this serpent, okay? What it does tell us, what we do know, is that it apparently uh, was originally created in some form different than what we would think of or see as a serpent or snake today. It was somehow different. It, according to the text, had, the, uh, had, had a, a great ability of, of skill, of, of, um, of prudency of cunning and that probably shouldn't be thought of as in a negative sense at least prior to the to the fall it it was an intelligent creature but apparently it allowed itself to be influenced by satan now i should say for the record that the genesis account makes no mention of satan by name here you'll notice satan is not mentioned by name in this text however The Apostle John gives some clarity on this. He makes it clear that indeed it was Satan uh, using the serpent to to bring uh, deception to Eve. Revelation uh, 12, 9, I think it says, uh, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. John's not using that term casually. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So Satan uses the serpent, whatever it was in its original form before the sin curse comes, and he uses it to to draw Eve into a conversation, to begin to get her to think or to discuss some of the things that he's trying to lead her, the path he's trying to to lead her down into a different direction. And so uh, he begins to engage her in this conversation. And he says to her, Indeed, has God said that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, of course, God had not said that, right? God had not said that you can't eat of any tree of the garden, but this is his strategy, see? To, to, to draw, draw people, draw someone into this conversation with him, whether it's in your head, whether it's whatever the case may be, whether it's through another, how, however he would do this, but to draw us into this conversation to begin to 
to cast doubt, to cause confusion. That's his objective. Do you understand? That's always his objective. He is a cunning adversary. Indeed, has God said that that you can't eat of any uh, tree of the garden? And of course, Eve apparently falls into this this trap of of deception. By the way, let me go ahead and say this uh, in case I forget later. It is at this point that the man of the house should have stepped up and said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get, Get out of here. Eve, get back behind me. This is not, I'm just telling you, men. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Eve, Eve engages in this conversation. She says, well, well no, we can, we can eat of any tree of the garden. We, we can eat of any tree of the garden, but, and I think the text goes on, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, some of you probably already know this, but it's interesting that Eve adds or touch it because we have no record of God ever saying that. The the only record we have in Genesis 2.17 of God's prohibition was to not eat of the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say anything about not touching it. Now, to be fair uh, about this whole thing, as I said, the only record we have is in Genesis 2.17. That's where God gives the prohibition. That is prior to him creating Eve. So God apparently gave the prohibition to Adam to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, is it possible that God said it more than once? Sure, that's possible. But it's also possible and quite likely that it was Adam's responsibility to pass to Eve God's instructions for them and on how they were to live their lives. That, that's a very biblical concept. A man is called to be the spiritual head of his home, to be the leader of his home. Doesn't mean he, you, y'all understand, I've talked about that plenty of times before, what that is and what that's not, but he's clearly called to be the spiritual head of his home. Now, did, did Adam add the prohibition not to touch it? Or did Eve just come up with this on her own? I don't know. Or was it just, just the fact that they knew, man, if God, if God said we shouldn't eat this, we, we, just, we, just, mm, we need to totally stay away from this thing completely. Maybe it was just a recognition that they were... I know that doesn't change any of, of the outcome, but what I'm saying to you is this is how Satan works. He begins this idea of beginning to, to just cause doubt, create confusion uh, in our minds about what is and, and what is not. And listen to me. I'm not just talking about the world, the people that, that don't even believe in God. I'm talking about even among, among us, even among people that would profess to be believers in Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about this, this is what he does. I, I uh, came across an article, a May 2017 article from Gallup of a survey that was recently done that uh, said this, that showed this. It said that fewer in one in four Americans, 24%, of Americans now believe the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. By the way, throughout the 1970s and into the 1980s, that number was 40%. That's how rapidly the decline has taken place in our nation. 24% now believe that the word of God is the actual word of God and is inerrant and is to be taken literally as God's truthful word. 
And, and of course, that's among all Americans. But I just got to tell you, the statistic isn't much better among those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. Among those that they surveyed that would claim to be a Christian, only 30% said that they believed that the Bible was the inerrant word of God, that it was infallible, and that it was, uh, that it was actually to be lived by for their life. Three out of ten surveyed said that they believe, believe that. Now, you and I can sit here and say, well, it's not a problem for me. I, 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 I believe in the Word of God. I, I believe it's inerrancy. I believe it's application for my life. And I'm, I'm sure that's true. But listen, I, I'm just saying, because I'm your pastor and because I love you, I can, I can ask you this question. Is it possible that sometimes by our actions, we have somehow found a way to to ignore God's instructions or to justify not following God's instructions? Say, in the area of, of sexual intimacy or purity or sharing our faith or forgiving or tithing or... Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Or, uh, in places where God speaks, is it possible that we've found ways to, to, to justify that? So... Uh, in the garden, we have this cunning adversary, and one of the things that he does is he calls into question the Word of God, right? That's what he does. He'll call into question the Word of God. You and I have to think about that for our lives, and, and what is our position on the Word of God, and, and do, we, do we understand it? Because we, we can understand. Listen, you, you don't have to be a theologian to see the, the correlation between the decline in, in the high view of Scripture and the rise in our culture of Pretty much everything that God prohibits, that God says, listen, don't, don't go here, don't, go, don't do this, don't go down this path, don't get in this, in this direction. Why? Because Satan is stealing away what God desires for you to have, a life full of joy and contentment and fulfillment and not based on the trappings or the trinkets or the flesh or all that kind of stuff. I'll get to more of that in just a second. So uh, he, he'll, he'll call into question the, the word of God. Second uh, idea behind that is that he'll call into question the authority of God. When you crack the door open to the Word of God, right, and say, well, I don't know, it, maybe it's, I don't know if that really, when you call into question, when you throw that door open just a little bit, the next natural step is to question the very authority of God. Do you remember, what did the serpent say in verse 4? You surely shall not die. You notice the the correlation, the, the close connection between how God had given the, 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 the expectation and, and how, what Satan does with this. God had said, for the day and you eat of this, you shall surely die. And Satan turns around and says, you surely shall not die. Listen, it is openly questioning, really it is, it is openly rebelling against the authority of God. And that's the question that you and I have to ask ourselves. Forget about everybody else out there. We understand oftentimes people without a relationship with God and, and where they are. But th- that's the question that you and I have to ask ourselves for our lives, specifically where you are in your life, in your school, in your marriage, in your job, in your whatever it is, to ask ourselves the question, does God have the authority over my life? Does God have the authority to say what is right and what is wrong? Does God have the authority to declare the consequences of violating his uh, his, his law, his edicts. And Satan has done a masterful job of convincing the world, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't have that authority. He, he, can't, he can't do that. Have y'all, have y'all seen this commercial? And it's a cute, cute commercial. I think it's mainly shown in movie theaters. But it's a Coke, uh, actually it's a Diet Coke commercial. And this girl comes out, and, you know, she's a cute girl, and she's walking along, and she opens a Diet Coke. She's drinking Diet Coke. And she, I don't know, she's saying some stuff. And then she says, if you want to live in a yurt, Yurt it up. 
Y- y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all seen that conversion? You want to live in a yurt? Yurt it up. If you want to run a marathon, that sounds super hard, but go ahead. And, and then she says, the, the, the point is, just do you. And if you want to drink a Diet Coke, drink a Diet Coke. It's worth getting to. But, that, but that's the line that she says, just do you. Do you hear? Do you hear the, 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 of the serpent in that? Just do you, man. Just be who you want to be. Just live the life you want to live. Where did God's authority go? It's no longer there. That's what Satan will do in your life. I'm telling you, whether you're, I'm telling you, whether you're in middle school or high school or college or, or in a work, he's going to do, he's going to question the authority of God in your life. And then the third part of that is he'll call into question the character of God. That's what you see there. Well, what does he say? What does he say? God just knows. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll become like him. Knowing good from evil. You'll become a God like him. And God doesn't want want anybody on par with him. God doesn't want anybody. He wants to keep everybody under under his rule. And just like that, Satan flips the script. And turns the story from, from a God who wants to protect us to a God who wants to protect himself. Wants to protect his position. And that's what you'll hear, folks. You see, it's, he, he, th- this is who we're doing battle against. He is a cunning adversary. Uh, bet- the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. I don't know, 14, 15 years old, however old I am. I'm on the wrestling team. It's the summer. And so we're going to uh, wrestle in an AAU meet. Now, AAU meet is different from like a high school meet. AAU meet is, is open to all amateurs, regardless of your age. If you make the weight class, you can wrestle. And I think I was wrestling 117, 119-pound weight class. It's a long time ago. And uh, before my first match, right, before my first match is in this big university gym or something, I can't remember what it was, but we had to travel to go there. And um, before my first match, Way over on the other side of the gym, I can see this, this, uh, this man, this man in a singlet. Y'all, y'all know that, right? Singlet in a, in a wrestling outfit. And he's over there, and he's stretching, and he's doing all this stuff in his head, and he's whatever. And he is a, he is a full-grown man. I mean, he's got hair coming out everywhere. He, he is, he's got, you know, he's got this just black, heavy beard. This guy is clearly in his mid-twenties. He's, he hasn't got an ounce of fat on him. He's lean. He's got muscles everywhere. And, and he's doing his thing over there. And in a minute, I see he turns and he's looking at me. All the way on the other side of the gym, he's looking at me. He's just staring at me. I'm like, what is going on? This is kind of freaky. Kind of freaky. And in a moment, here he comes. Walking just real. And he's coming dead at me, man. Dead at me. And he gets to me, and he sticks out his hand. He says, I'm so-and-so. I have no idea what I had no, I was out of it by that point. I'm so-and-so. I I finished third in the state of New York in 19 such-and-such-and-such. Walks off. And that was it, man. That match was over before I ever stepped on that mat. He had so totally freaked me out, psyched me out, messed with my mind. And... (laughs) To my shame, the match lasted all of about, it may have made the five-second mark. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm serious. But you understand? Cunning. Cunning. Just 
manipulative and knowing how to just do the right thing, push the right buttons. I'm telling you, that's who this enemy is. Because this society oftentimes portrays Satan as this, this cartoonish character in red pajamas and a pitchfork, right? Kids dress up like him on, on Halloween to, to perhaps make him seem less harmless. Women sometimes dress seductively uh, in, in some fashion like him to make it seem like something more appealing. He, he's often seen as that, that, that guy sitting on your left shoulder that just wants to show you a good time versus the guy on your right shoulder is just a goody two-shoes, rain-on-your-parade party kind of guy, tells you what you can't do. Can I tell you this? Satan does not mind those descriptions of him one single bit. You know why? Because nobody sees an enemy in that. Nobody sees an enemy in somebody that looks like that. Jesus said this about this guy. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's, he's not the guy in red pajamas and a pitchfork. He is your enemy. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a murderer. And he wants to steal everything that God would want you to have in your life. He wants to murder your marriage. He wants to kill your happiness. He wants to wreck your children. He wants to do all of those things. You probably know this passage. Peter said this about Satan. He says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Doesn't sound very harmless, does it? Listen, this is is who he is. And I'm saying to you that we have this cunning adversary. And I'm telling you, you're married, you're worked, whatever the case may be. Those of you that went went off to camp and came back Friday all all just fired up and excited. and, And can I tell you this? That Satan desires to steal every single gain you feel like you may have made at camp. Steal every one of them. Because he doesn't want you to have joy. He certainly doesn't want you to broadcast it because when you're walking in the fullness of Christ, when you're living in the realness of His Spirit and experiencing His joy and contentment and fulfillment and all that stuff in your life, you are a walking, talking billboard for Jesus and He hates it. So those of you that went to camp, don't be surprised if the attacks come in the next week or so. I'm telling you, they will. And just in our lives in general. That's who He is. That's what He does. He is a cunning adversary and we have to understand that. Okay, uh, Let's see if I can get through this. Let me get to the second uh, one real quickly, if I can. Here's the second division statement. In the garden, we grow in our understanding that temptation comes in three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Okay, so we, we have to know the enemy's there. We can't take it uh, for granted. We can't just assume, you know, we... Okay, here's the second one. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is the three areas where temptation is almost always going to come. Verse 6 says this. Y'all with me? Watch now. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. This is, this is ground zero. This is where the, the, the majority, if not all, I would say all temptation in our lives is going to come in one of these three areas eve eve says oh no god says we can eat of any tree in the garden we, we get we can eat from all these but but there's one we we, we can't eat of because we eat of it we're going to surely oh you're surely not going to die god just knows that you're going to become a god like him he, he he does all that stuff that he does he casts that doubt he creates that opportunity for her to begin to 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 question what's going on or what god's motives are or all that kind of stuff 
and he gets her to focus where she shouldn't focus. I would put it this way, to put it up on, on the screen. Satan got Eve to focus on physical gratification, aesthetic satisfaction, and personal advancement. And listen to me, when he got her there, he had her right where he wanted her. Because listen to me, if he can get you to, to not believe in the authority of God or the reliability of his word, if he can get you to not believe in those things, then he can get you to believe in anything he wants you to believe. You'll be happier with this person. Uh, You'll be successful if you do this. Yeah, it's a little shady, but still, you understand what I'm saying? This is what he does. This is how he operates. This This is the way he works. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, boastful pride of life. It's, it's how he operates. It's where he works. Something that will be pleasing to your flesh, something that looks attractive or desirable, something that will elevate you. That's basically what it comes down to. Basically, if you look back, and I know it's not, I know it's not pleasing, I know it's not enjoyable, but if you look back on any sin that you've committed in your life that you still have memory of or something you did yesterday or two years ago or 20 years ago, something that that you still struggle with, if you look back at any sin in your life, you're basically going to find it's going to come under one of those three areas, something that will be pleasing to your flesh, it was either pleasing your flesh or a combination thereof, something that looks attractive or desirable or something that will elevate you. That's what you'll find. And And I'll bet you a dozen duck donuts that the next time a temptation comes, to your, comes your way, it'll be built on one of those three areas right there or combination thereof. Uh, the Apostle John uses very similar language uh, to this in, uh, in 1 John chapter 2 when he says, for all that is in the world, all, the, all of this perishable going away stuff, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Satan used it. Now listen, I think you guys understand that, but it doesn't mean that everything we look at or everything we desire is bad. It doesn't mean that. It, it's, it's not wrong for you to, to look at a, a strawberry rhubarb pie stress, fresh out of the oven and say, man, that looks good. It is not wrong for me to desire my wife or for my wife to desire me. But when something or someone leads us in a direction contrary to what God wants for our lives, that's, that's when it's wrong. And Satan knows it, and Satan uses it to his advantage in our lives if we let him almost every single day. So, how do we, how do we counter it? Let me try and close this up by saying, how do we, how do we prepare for this lust of the flesh? I, I know it's out there. It's a world out there. It's, 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 not, it's in advertising. It's on the shows we watch. It's in the music we listen to. It's, in, it's, just, it's all over the place, right? All these things that, that God ha- has specific reasons why, no, don't. Being sexually promiscuous is not what I want for you. I have something better. No, not, you know, getting drunk and with us. Not what I want for you. All these kind of things that's, that we're constantly bombarded with, right? If he's going to use this, and I'm still in my flesh, and so I know I'm still, I'm still susceptible to that, so what do, we, what do we need to do? Let me give you some things that we need to talk about doing. As I said, temptation comes in three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. So here's what we need. We need an expectation of temptation. First thing, rule number one, expectation of temptation. What am I saying? Expect temptation. It's going to happen. It's going to come. It's going to be in your face. You have to expect it. That, listen, I, I'm not saying that we have to, uh, you know, constantly be looking over our shoulders or, or in fear or whatever, but, but I'm telling you that to know that there is a hungry lion on the loose and not prepare in any way, that's just Let's see, what would be a good Hebrew word? 
stupid. That's just crazy. So I need an expectation of temptation. I have to, I have to say, you know what? I know that something, it, it, could, it could be in a, in a glance, a look uh, for, uh, at, at, a, at another woman. It, it could be in an opportunity to do this or to go in there. I have to expect it, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to come. And that's number one. Second, preparation for temptation. Okay, I, I'm expecting it. I know it's going to come. So if I'm going to have temptation, if it's going to come, things are going to come towards me that would lure me into doing something God would not want me to do, how do I prepare for it? Y'all ready? Here it is. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. It, it, it's not rocket science, is it? It's not complicated. You don't got to be a theologian to figure this out, that, that it is taking the Word of God and planting the Word of God in my heart, memorizing it, meditating on it, uh, chewing on it, doing whatever I'm doing, but taking the Word of God into my life to, so that God can then empower me to, to say no. Just say no to the temptation when it comes into your life. Because, listen, the, here, get this. The Word of God is not just information. I tell people this all the time. I'm sure people think I sound like a broken record because one of the things when they come to me about something they're struggling with, one of the, and if some of y'all know this, one of my first questions is how much time you spend in the Word of God. And I know I sound like a broken record, but folks, that's what you have to understand. The Word of God is not just information. Now, it is informational. We will gain information. I'll learn what I shouldn't do. I'll hear how I should act and what I should do. I'll, I'll learn. It is informational, but the Word of God is not just trans- informational. The Word of God, ladies and gentlemen, is transformational. It really is. Because it is the actual Word of God, it, it has power. It has actual, literal power. I, I, I honestly have staked my eternity and my calling on that. And that power, when I ingest it, when I take it in, oh, but pastor, you don't know my schedule. I know, I'm sure you're much busier than I am, I'm sure. Oh, but pastor, you just don't know what it's like with the kids. I know, I never raised any kids. But pastor, you, you understand what I'm saying? That if you, don't, if you don't do this, you're not prepared. You have to take in the Word of God. You have to memorize it and meditate upon it and ingest it and, and, and feed upon it and, and let God transform you through the power of that Word to be able to, to repel a, a, a temptation that's coming your way because it's coming your way. To put it another way, God's Word is empowering me to have victory over the enemy. You could say it that way, but it's not if you're not. It's not empowering you to have victory over the enemy if you're not taking it in. Yeah, I, listen, I, I, there's no shortcuts. There's no way around this. There's no other way to put it. And I know we live in a culture that wants us to speed everything up and find a quick way to do this and a quick way to do that. Uh, I used to have to punch in a code, uh, but then I just have to do my finger and now I just have to look at it. And, you know, it, I understand the, the, the objective is to make it easier and easier and quicker and quicker, but there is no substitute for time in the Word of God. There's just not. Because, because again, you're not just gaining information, you're drawing near to Him, and He's the one that transforms us, it's His power. That transforms us. Again, uh, Psalm 119, great psalm. The whole thing's about the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I can tell you this, but you already know it. Satan loves to strike in the dark. 
And there's places where we're least expecting it, at the places where we're, we're caught off guard, at the, the places where we're, we're a little, little unclear about what direction or how we feel or whatever else, and that's where he left. And God's word lights our path, literally lights our path and keeps us from tripping over the temptation that Satan has laid out before you in your life. Okay, one more. Consecration from temptation. Now, listen, I know that's an old-fashioned word, but I'll just be honest with you, I couldn't think of a better one. Uh, uh, listen, according to Google, according to Google, definition of consecration, the action of making or declaring something, typically a church, sacred. Since you and I are the church, I can't think of a better word than to say that I, I must set myself apart. That's basically what it means. Set myself apart to God. I, I, have, to, I have to make this decision to be consecrated to God. Now listen to me. Positionally speaking, if you know Christ as your Savior, positionally speaking, you, ha- you are set apart. You are consecrated. You've been washed in the blood of Christ. You've been cleansed from your sin. You are redeemed. You are promised heaven and eternity and all that that will be. Positionally speaking, you are consecrated. You are spe- set apart. But practically speaking, you're going down into the world every single day. You're going to that job. You're going to that school. You're going to those friends. You're going to those places. And you're going to have to make a decision in your mind. Am I going to live for God? Or am I going to live for myself? That's basically what consecrating myself comes down to every day. Am I going to, am I, am I going to, am I going to live my life? Am I going to respond to this person? Am I, am I going to uh, react to this situation? Am I going to do it in a way that's going to honor God? Or is it going to be pleasing to my flesh? Or helping in my, my uh, climb up the ladder? Or you understand what I'm saying? That, that's it. I have to make a conscious decision to say, no, God, today I'm consecrating myself to you. I'm setting myself apart. I live for you, God. I, I want to live for myself. That's where my flesh wants to take me. That's where the enemy wants to take me. That's where the world wants to take me. But God, uh, today I'm choosing to live for you. You have to make that decision. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to make a decision every day and sometimes multiple times during the day depending on what the enemy is throwing at you. But to say, no, I'm consecrated. I'm set apart. I'm living for God. That's how you combat these temptations when they come in to your life. Now, there's more to say about this as the story uh, continues to, to move forward in Genesis chapter 3. But right now, that's a good place to start to understand that you and I face an adversary who is very cunning, who desires to steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life that would be good and that, that would come down from the Father above. That's what he wants to do. And you need to understand that temptation that comes into your life is probably going to come in one of those three areas. You need, to, you need to recognize it, you need to prepare for it, you need to consecrate yourself so that God gets the victory, you get the victory, and the enemy who desire to deceive and destroy is locked out because the gates are, are fastened tight. Amen? The same enemy that tempted Eve in the garden is the same enemy that you and I face today. As we saw in Genesis chapter 3, he is a cunning adversary who attempts to deceive us. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life are the areas where he still seeks to draw us away from God. Fortunately for all of us, God is a pursuing God. He came looking for Adam and Eve, and he comes looking for each of us. No matter what any of us have done, God is a loving and merciful God who intends to bring us back to Him to experience life more abundant in Him. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.